And welcome back to the final portion of Who Wants to Own All of the Squad Leader Products. Our contestant, Dave Kleinschmidt, is doing very, very well. Indeed, yeah. most impressive. Dave, that yeah. Casablanca, that last answer was amazing. Oh, yeah, baby. Your knowledge of World War II is most impressive. But now, here is the final question, and with this question, you will win the last two modules that you need to own, Code of Bushido and West of Alamein, then your entire squad leader collection will be complete. Are you ready for your final question? Yeah. yeah. All right, David, here it goes. On May 10th, 1940, Germany invaded the Netherlands. The Netherlands is otherwise known as... Oh, oh, I know this. Denmark, Holland, Belgium, and Luxembourg. Hmm. Is that your final answer? Oh. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. It's 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 Denmark, Holland, Belgium, and and Finland. Yes, Finland. And that's your final answer. Yes. I'm sorry, Dave. That is not correct. Oh. Well, thanks for joining us. Oh. Goodbye, everybody. Join us next time for no. another contestant. Oh, no, wait, 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 chance. wait, wait. It's, no, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, Dave. That's that's the only chance you get. You no, 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 no. It's Libya. You said that was your Egypt. You said it and was Ethiopia. Your, your final answer. No, 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 no. You did say final no, answer. No, no, it's, it's Papua we'll New Guinea. We'll it's a, uh, Indonesia. No, I'm sorry, and, Dave. No, New Zealand. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Two Half Squads, the only podcast dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, and have we got a show for you tonight. Oh, it's a great show, Dave. That's Dave Kleinschmidt sitting across from me. We are interviewing Ken Smith, and we're eating a little humble pie, as you can tell, from from our comedy bit intro. Yeah. Yeah, we had a little... uh, we had a little thing on our last episode that was embarrassing, but... It was a little embarrassing. We considered actually never again doing another show. Yeah, we were going to fold up our tents, as they yeah. say. But we decided it was not about us and our and our egos. It was about you, the yeah, listener. the listener. We wouldn't want to leave you, you know, with, with nothing to listen to about Squad Leader. We value you too much, so here we are. Here we are again, for good, for better, or for worse. And it's a simple show. It's going to consist of the uh, comedy opening, the letters, and straight into an interview with Ken Smith, yeah. illustrator of the last one, two, three, five ASL journals yeah. and upcoming HP. And um, what a thrill it was to talk to him. Yeah, great. and you know what? If, you, if you're not into the art of ASL, can I recommend you stick around and listen? It's very interesting. Expand your boundaries. It, and it's not just about art, but it's about the, you know, the creating of the art and, and having the and history, the people and the equipment and the, the uniforms and all that kind of stuff. And a little and bit all, about all that he goes through. About the business side of ASL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't get any gaming tips. You won't get any rules no. analysis. No. But sometimes we need a break from that crud. Yeah, I think so, too. All and right. it is good to expand your horizons. You, don't want, you want people to know that you're three-dimensional. Yes, yeah, if we were, unlike the ASL journal covers, which are two-dimensional, two dimensional, we have yeah. to insult them. But So I posted on Twitter the other day that I was at uh, uh, Resident Evil 3D, the movie, 
and how you cool, were? yeah, and how cool it would be to uh, if ASL was in 3D. Oh, but after seeing Resident Evil 3D, I think I really prefer Squad Leader in 2D <laughs> to Resident Evil 3D. It, it wasn't was a, good in 3D. No, it was a bad movie. It was a bad movie. Oh, I was and I go like Resident Evil. It. I'm a big Resident yeah. Evil fan. I know, but it was a terrible movie. It was, and I don't mean to insult 15 year olds, but it was. The script was written by a 15 year old, or the story was written by a 15 year old. I'm oh, sure. Oh, because the other ones were kind of okay. Yeah, they were kind of good, yeah. and I like Resident Evil. It's fun. Oh, I was going to go to the theater and see it. Nah, Should skip. I just wait. Yeah, skip. Okay. Skip. All skip. Right. Merrily passed it. Go on to something else. All righty then. Shall we go to letters, Jeff? Let's have some letters. Ding. Ding. And Jeff, you have the first letter? I do. We have a letter from Clayton. Hey guys, just a nudge to keep up the good work. I'm a listener from Canada in central Ontario. Nice to hear some good banter about the game, and I enjoy your celebrity interviews, particularly Chaz Argent, since he's the man right now for ASL Publications. Yes, he is. John Hill was a coop. Coo. Huh? Coo. Like a, like yeah, a, it is cool. It was cool. No, coo, like a dove. Oh. Coo. Coo. We, you know, we don't speak enough languages. Uh, John Hill was a coup, too, but I was a little disappointed to hear that he is not a diehard ASLer. Yeah, we were, too. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were a little surprised. No, I don't know, a little surprised. I kind of see not his too point, much. though. I do, too. Yeah, sure. Sure, right. It's like Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, uh, no, Michelangelo. Leonardo wouldn't care, but Michelangelo uh, upset because the Sistine Chapel is reproduced in Las Vegas. Yeah, what's with that? Can we cut this part out? I thought you were going to say Michelangelo <laughs> upset Federer in the U.S. Open. I don't know. It, it seemed like a good idea when I started that analogy, but uh, back to Clayton. Keep up the good work struggling with foreign words. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you were kidding. Raison no. d'etre was a zinger this past week. D'etre. And he, Clayton is a language teacher. Oh, I enjoy the painting as well, so... I found box art critiques something fresh and new to say about ASL. And have we got a show for you, my oh, friend, Clayton. Okay. Clayton, you're going to love this one. Uh, I'm mainly on Vassal, as there are no local players that I can get together with regularly. I've been in Squad Leader ASL since 1982. And I hate vehicular freeze. And I hate testicular freeze. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that, but well, yeah, I wouldn't you like that either. wouldn't often, but... Yeah. Once I was lost in Siberia, yeah, it was a horrible yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, Thanks for writing, Clayton. You know, we hate well vehicular freeze. I mean, you could. Okay. Do hey, you hate? Do you hate vehicular yeah, freeze? Uh, yes, I kind of do. Do you really? Because if you got a machine gun and this tank pulls up next to you, you know you cannot penetrate the tank or hurt the tank. Why? And there's infantry running behind it towards your building. Why would you not mow down the infantry with your machine gun? I just. I understand the principle, but I agree with Clayton. And let's talk about that on the next round table too, Jeff. Yeah, I'd like I would like to. I'll I'd add like it in to, to our yeah. to our, our list. Yeah. Well, I have one here from Will. I'm only just now catching up on old podcasts. We'll forgive you. And in the listener mail for episode 29, someone writes an email from the Tuomo. This was the show we did with Doug. All right. 
that can only be Tom Rapetti. Wow, he listens that? to our know. show. Yeah. Or at least someone to, pretending to be him. Yeah, that's more likely. I realize the show was a while ago, but I wanted to make sure you were aware of who it was in case no one else had given you a pointer. He was much better known back in the days, which I remember, but Jeff doesn't because he was born much later than me. When the ASL mailing list was the main way ASL fans communicated. Primitive, but helpful. Yeah. He's one of the cleverest ASL players I have ever read, and I think you would enjoy reading some of his stuff. Hopefully it won't be too dated. I would start with the Spuddy Awards at, and he gives us the address. We'll put that on, though. I won't the show notes, as usual. <laughs> um, which I actually looked at here. He does have some articles he says will be uh, moved to the MMP website. Oh, good. Uh, the MMP's new and improved website, if you haven't been there. Yes, which, by the way, in the last month, it's do go very, in, very nice. Do go in and, yeah. and re-put in your pre-orders, because they didn't lose them, but... They didn't, uh, well, for some reason they need you to put them back in. So just go do it. Um, I had tweeted a horrible tweet assuming something I should never have assumed, that they lost the pre-orders, but they, they just didn't transfer to the new site. Yeah. So, um, And he's got lots of great stuff, Tom Rapetti. So we'll post that and go in and look. And uh, he does say some of his information may be wrong, much like we say all the time also. And he says, perhaps it's my sense of humor, but he had me in tears a couple times while reading the Spuddy Awards, which I looked at, and they are kind of humorous. The little quotes from people like sound like at tournaments or something. Uh, I haven't read it, so I'll, I'll go there. Just go, yeah. yeah. And you can look it up later like our listeners will. His complaint that we, the two half-squads, don't talk about maps is related to his personal obsession, ASL Maps. You'll also find a link from that webpage to the Vassal Map Cabal Gallery. I'm enjoying the show's. And have either of you got Vassal up and running yet? So, Jeff, Vassal update? Uh, you know, I haven't really done anything. I have uh, been in contact with um, uh, Louis Tokars, and we have talked about doing a Vassal show. So that is upcoming very soon. And i got to do it. we got to do it before Louis starts getting into his busy season, which is very shortly. So oh. I need to get with him pretty Yeah, yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Do it, even if you do it without me. But, let, yeah. you know, let's do it. Do yeah. it. and Because uh, it, it is amazing. And I would learn a lot, too. Yeah. Well, it would be easy for you to learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, it would be. I, yeah. I, I tried going in there. I couldn't get to work for my computer. Ah. Which, and I'm not techno-illiterate. Come on, Jeff. You know no, you're I, not. I pretend to not know anything, but I do all kinds of things on this machine. Yes, you do. But still. But it's one of those Apple machines. You yeah. got one of them there, Apple. I machines. do have an Apple. Yeah. No, but that, that should work just fine on there. <clears throat> okay, here's a letter from uh, Dude, or Dude, D-U-D-E. The French. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's the French pronunciation. It was good to hear someone go through the steps of OBA and just hear someone basically repeat everything my partner and I say when we're going through OBA. Reassurance that I'm doing it right is always a positive. So, and thank you for yeah, that. thank you for that. Because we put a lot of work into that, and it's... Uh, Nice. And it, not glad somebody yeah. <laughs> thinks it was worthwhile. Yeah. And I listen to, uh, I regularly listen to another podcast called um, The Zero Room, which is two guys from Hollywood. Both of them are in the, the movie and TV business. They're not, they're not, you know, executives or anything. They're just a couple guys that are in the business. 
And they do this podcast, and they sit around and they talk about movies and TVs and what's coming up, and they review stuff, and they talk about mostly it's it, a lot of it's science fiction because they like science fiction and fantasy and superheroes and comic books and stuff like that. So I like to listen to it, and it's fun to listen to a show where guys are just talking about stuff you like, and I think that's why people listen listen to our show, and we're very grateful for that. We are because we only talk about Squad Leader. Mostly, this is it. This what? just in, Jeffrey. <laughs> I see somebody just handed you this. Uh, this just in. Yeah. We have a news item. Oh, wow. Which, uh, we haven't done news in many years because Jeff hated it. So we dropped the whole idea, <laughs> but I made him do it for tonight. Because this is a news item, Jeff. It's All right. Yeah, let's hear Charles it. Charles Swan Roberts. And it's a serious news item. Oh, yeah. Author and co-founder of the publishing company um, Barnard. Roberts and Company Incorporated, known for his extensive histories of the Pennsylvania Railroad, have passed away August 20th from complications of emphysema and pneumonia. In 1958, he co-founded the Avalon Hill Game Company. Wow, I didn't know that. Yep. And Baltimore Game Publishing Company specialized in war and other mental combat games such as D-Day, Stalingrad, etc. He expanded the line to include Rail Baron, Dispatcher, and B&O and C&O. Um, very famous classic historical and I mean historic game development. Yeah, yeah, he was one of the main men behind the whole hobby. One of the main men. Yeah, it says the company in which he sold to Parker Brothers in the early '60s, which I didn't realize that. Avon Hill was Parker Brothers. It took well, its name. Yeah, maybe not, but the division. I'm Part of the division. Maybe. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Took its name from Mr. Roberts' home in an old Avalon iron mill on Gun Hill Road, oh. overlooking the B&O oh. Railroad's historic old main line. And I had never known where you know Avalon Hill came from. Yeah. I actually thought it may have been a place. But it's a combination of Avalon Iron Mill on Gun Hill Road. Well, maybe they did sell it to Parker Brothers. And then it went to Hasbro. I don't know. Well, yeah. It's complicated. It, it's you know what it reminds me of as far as complicated, the Netherlands. <laughs> that is Jeff, complicated. This is an obituary. You can't no. be making jokes. All right, I'm sorry. Um, Mr. Roberts had been vice president of Barton Cotton Incorporated, a graphics and printing firm, and he had been a former vice president and general manager of Forms Incorporated in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. And this was sent in by Danny Sakari, one of our listeners, too. Otherwise, I would not have seen this notice at all and had known that he had passed away. Um, yeah, I actually saw the announcement um, came through from Consim World. Oh, Consim, yes. Yeah, they announced it. And did it say and how, how old was uh, Charles Roberts? Uh, I no, don't know. I don't have it here. Okay. Um, but you know, if you think about it, without this guy, how would yeah. our, our lives be different? Right. You know, or not. we'd be playing more Dungeons and Dragons, I suppose, <laughs> more Monopoly. Yeah. But um, but no, great. I mean, just amazing, Charles Swan and. That's the awards that uh, you had referred to earlier. Yeah, show the Charles S. Roberts Awards are uh, are awarded every year for excellence in wargaming, different categories, and we we campaigned a little bit this year to try to get the category of podcasts included in that. And of course, we nominated ourselves, and some of our listeners, I think, also I think wrote they, in 
and and asked for that. Well, I know a few that wrote in and said, you know, don't <laughs> these guys. Is, yeah, I've listened to them. Trust me, you wouldn't. Yeah. Well, and they did actually. Somebody from uh, from the awards did write us back and said, you know, we're considering this as a official category oh. for the future, but we don't know. I, I don't know where that's going to go. So okay. maybe next year they'll have it, and maybe we'll get nominated. And you know, since there are probably only four war game podcasts. We're likely to get nominated, but you never know. It might only be like three, and we're not them. And we are definitely appreciative to uh, Mr. Roberts for yeah. all he has done for the hobby. Yes, amazing. Thank you for that news bit, Dave. And back to letters. Back to letters. And uh, do I get the next letter? Sure. I do. Okay. Howdy from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. First off, I want to thank you very much for putting the two half squads on the net. This is from uh, Steve, by the way. I've just completed listening to all of the podcasts and the series replay. I thoroughly enjoyed all of them. Well, that's nice. Uh, we, God, don't we love Canadians? We love Canadians. Oh, Canada, thy glory shines so bright. Really? Maybe. Well, that's good. I just know the old Canada part. I can play that so... on the organ, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't bring your organ with you. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed all of them. I've been playing Squad Leader since it came out. My brother and I played all of the OEM scenarios published by Avalon Hill, including all the ones in the general magazines. The sad fact is that I have only ever played one turn of one scenario of a... Keep going, Jeff. ...of Advanced Squad Leader. I'm going to play quietly in the background. You do have your organ with you. Yes, I always carry it with me. Where's your monkey? I told you, ever since that monkey ripped the face off that lady, Cheetah is banned from this room. Uh, Steve goes on to say, I am not sure what made me start searching the web for ASL, but I'm glad I did. You guys have inspired me to search and find a local gaming group that I hear will play ASL. Never knowing if the question Jeff asks are rhetorical or not. I don't know either. Yeah, me neither. I thought I would explain the abstract idea behind cowering. Cowering is actually something that is much more prevalent in real life than is shown in ASL. I would suggest that you read Max Hastings' book, Armageddon. If it were to be more realistic, every infantry attack should be half, unless you roll doubles. Mm -hmm. So he's saying coward cowering is, is, yeah, more often than not. The rules represent that not every man in a squad will listen when you need him most. Well, I, and I, that must be true. I'm sure that's very true. I know that would be true for me. <laughs> uh, when, it, when a push came to shove and the, and the shooting started, I, I would probably be cowering. Uh, one final note, if you would send your mailing address, I would like to send you a beverage, a wobbly pop or two that is out of this world in appreciation for all you guys who have done. I'm planning on attending ASLOC 2011. Hope to see you there. Well, we hope to be there. We'll hope to be there next year, and we hope to be there this year. This year especially. We'll see how it goes. Thank you. It's just three weeks away, so I I better start packing. Yes, you should. And I have a letter from Patrick Connors. First and foremost, I'd like to say thank you for putting on the podcast. It's helped me to the point where I'm now moving into full ASL. Come on, listeners. Congratulations. You, you all can move on to full ASL, it. especially Mike Lemke. Come on, everybody. Yeah. You can do it. Order that rule book. Come on. Do it. Find someone to teach you. For something that 
I, a newcomer to full ASL, would like to see is a, a show or extra episode where you go over ASL um, 0001. I, I thought fighting withdrawal. It's the scenario. More akin to the detail of Newbie Do 2. I understand this would take some time, and I know for one that I w- it would help myself. Anyone that's new to the laundry list of concepts in full ASL. Just an idea. I know you have many people mailing you, but I just thought I would toss it out there. You know, I, I like his idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. It's a great idea. And it kind of, actually, Ken is going to mention it in our interview coming up. Remember he said he was overwhelmed by playing yes. the first scenario and had right. smoke and all this stuff yeah. in it? And Finding Withdrawal has some flames that spread. It's a withdrawal. It's, I think it's the fins, actually. Um, but I think I, I'm ready to dive into that, Jeff. So Yeah, I think that'd be good. Um, and get that posted for him. Yeah. And he's wondering about Vassal. Well, we just explained about Vassal, and we hope to get to that also. And if you know any AS, anyone, if you know any ASL groups around the Upper Peninsula area of Michigan, let Patrick Connors know. Okay. So anyone out there gaming? He'd like to find someone to game with. So if he is in the UP in college, he must be in Marquette, Michigan. Uh, University of Michigan is there. And so if anybody's around Marquette, Michigan, let us know. Gmail us or yeah. whatever. And, and we'll we'll hook you up with uh, Patrick. And he signs it, clink it, and drink it. How about this that? silly slogan that Jeff came up silly with. Silly slogan. No, this is the slogan. I thought it's it was clink and drink. Work. It's clink and drink. He he changed it a little bit to clink it okay. and drink it. But clink and Let's drink. clink and drink. You need a glass. I have Give a, a glass. can. No. It's clink, clink and drink. Here's I go. Clink and drink. And drink. I hate that, Jeff. I just went on my uh, annual fishing trip, and I introduced yeah. clink and drink last year on the fishing trip, and those guys use it all the time. And I introduced it to some of my clients. I've got a client with an office in Italy and several other countries. Ooh, and Mr. He, cool Guy. He uses it a lot. So here we go. The Italians are going to be using it. You don't want the, the Italians getting ahead of you, Dave. That's. I think you should introduce it to your uh, sixth graders. <laughs> They're eighth graders. Oh, okay. Come on, dude. Oh, yeah. Well, then certainly they Which should be drinking. Which makes it more appropriate. They should, yeah, they should definitely be drinking. And they should have a toast that really defines the generation. All right. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Zumba. I'm hoping that's perhaps not his real name. Azumbaya, 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 Oh, just wow. Mm. I first thought you were not serious with the countries of the Netherlands. Mm. Okay, here we go. Mm. We, we were just kidding. Okay, it's true. <laughs> ah, last, we fooled you all. Last episode, we talked about the Netherlands, and we exhibited mm. a certain amount mm. of confusion, uh, I would say. Ignorance, slight. temporary insanity, maybe, regarding mm. what the Netherlands all entailed. So, Zumba is writing to us. First, I thought you were not serious about countries in the Netherlands, but apparently you were. Mm-hmm. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, but I was definitely baffled by your ignorance. You might want to check out the facts once more. Anyway, a very enjoyable show as always. Nice to hear the Finland song, me being from Finland. Love, Zumba. Oh, yeah, and that was the um, the, the Finland uh, Monty Python song, but I can play the Finland National Anthem. On my organ. (laughs) 
And that shows how knowledgeable I am about foreign countries, Jeff. That makes up for my ignorance on the show. Hear me play. It's inspiring. Jeff's not impressed. Yeah, that's inspiring. Well, as I as I wrote, to, I replied to Zumba when he posted that on our on the website, mm-hmm. and um, I said, uh, "Come on, Zumba! Our faithful listeners know ignorance is our middle name, along with <laughs> along with dull." Mm-hmm. But when in doubt as to whether laugh or cry, we suggest crying because chicks dig guys who cry. Yes, they do. So, um, but the Netherlands thing was, you know, I, I was, I, I have to admit, I was confused. I was confused. And I was also confused. It just doesn't seem fair to me that you have a country called Holland and then you have like two names for it. Yeah. Netherlands, Holland. The and, country is called Holland. And to make it even worse. Yeah, what are the people called, Jeff? The nation is called the Netherlands, the country is called Holland, and the people are Dutch. Oh, and where did, how do you, okay, come on. I it's mean, confusing. All right, you want to know something else embarrassing? Yeah. While well, it's open confession time, um, when I started teaching seventh grade, and when I teach it, someone said, dude, Dave's a social studies teacher. Um, when we teach World War II, we don't, say, sorry to say, we don't talk a whole lot. About the invasion of Holland, you know, there's right. so many days to 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 put on to the yeah. war. But it's the end of the year. You gotta you gotta, gotta move along. Gotta get to the end of the Cold War. Yeah. And um, when I taught seventh grade, um, New England actually threw me for a second. <laughs> like, cause like, what's New England? I'm like, oh yeah, what's well, not a state? <laughs> is it a state? Is there a new is the state? Well, there's of New England. 50 states. Come on. Yeah. So no, oh. I, no, honestly, I'm like, wait, New England. Okay, no, it's not a stick, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> so I actually, I figured it's like something in the east, but yeah, I actually looked it up and found out what New England literally was. So. Yeah, kind of like Netherlands, New England. Mm-hmm. Well, it yeah, it was confusing, but we're all we're all good now. And and it prompted this most marvelous letter from Andy. Everyone knows the Netherlands are Holland, Estonia, Bosnia, and San Marino. Yeah. Thank you, Andy, for setting us straight. Yeah, and thank you, Andy, for lightening the mood, because <laughs> Jeff and I were like, oh, gosh, these people are yelling at us for not knowing something like the Netherlands. Well, Stephen Rasmussen wrote, and he said, I've listened to all the episodes and enjoyed them greatly, but that Never- Netherlands commentary really had me floored. How could you say those things? Well, Are you teachers and World War II yeah, fanatics and was... still think those things? I, I cannot understand it. I'm sorry, but... I guess you would say anything outrageous to have to keep us from pressing that dull button. <laughs> had you not had such a great history of fun and enlightening podcast, I would probably have turned it off right then and there. Well, Stephen, we want to personally uh, apologize. We are sorry. We and are. if you come over here, we will pour you a beer and we will clink and drink with you. We will. Yeah. And, and we'll never make that mistake again. No. It just seemed to me like... Holland was Holland, and the Netherlands was things like in the lowlands, yeah. you know, up there by the coast. It just made logical sense to me, so I, I apologize. Yeah. We'll be okay. We're gonna and be we'll okay. study our geography a little better yeah, for next we will. time. Well, we, we just had like a an aneurysm. Nothing to worry <laughs> well, about. We're, we're feeling better now. actually didn't know. Yeah. And our last letter of the evening a compre- uh, from Mark Morrison. He recommends a comprehensive book of battlefield maps that is HarperCollins' Atlas of World War II by John Keegan, a must-have. And keep up the good work. 
and he recommends this to all of us. I think he recommended it because he was also shocked at our lack of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, Mark. Yeah, I'm actually going to, uh, I love maps. I'm going to order that book. And I like John Keegan. I think he's a very good author. Yes, Faces so. of Battle and so yeah. on. Um, yeah. and, and Jeff, before we go, and we should go right into that interview because it's, it's so good. Um, I noticed your game over on the side. Yeah. You're playing with Mike. Right, I'm in, in the, the midst of, of playing a, a um, starter kit scenario with Mike. SK uh, starter kit. It's S26, last ally, last victory. Is that the one you mentioned last time on the air? Do yeah. you remember? Mm-hmm. So and, st- and we're still playing it. Well, we've. You know, I went on my fishing trip. Oh, yes. He had some stuff, I had some stuff, so we, we've only actually played twice. But you have this thing mounted under a board of plexiglass, and he yeah. has like a some kind of cardboard thing on the bottom, and I'm looking yeah. at it, and he's got clips. I'm like, wow, where did Jeff get this great system? Because I just lay down my maps, and especially with the starter kit maps and all the new the flat new, maps, you're going to need maps. something to yeah. hold them down, everybody. Yeah, because they bow up. Yeah, plexiglass, and I, and I was going to re, go rebuy plexiglass in various sizes to fit, and I know it's expensive at the at the uh, it is yeah store it is. yeah. And I said, "Wow, Jeff, what's that little clipping system you got going there? It looks like you built that into your table, or whatever." And what is it? Well, actually, what I did was I, uh, um, I went to Target in this case, and I bought a poster frame, which just consists of a piece of low-density particle board in the back, or, or masonite, yep. you may call it, yeah. and a piece of thin plexiglass and some backing paper and clips to keep it all together. And what you're supposed to do is is take a poster and put it in there and put the plexiglass on top and put the clips on and just hang it on the wall. It's, it doesn't have really a frame of It has no kind. frame, yeah, which you don't want for squad leader. But, yeah, so I thought, well, that'd be great for squad leader. So I've got my three boards here, X, Y, and Z, uh, no, T, U, and V in this okay. case. <laughs> Laid out. Oh, there. they were telling me my zipper was undone. That was X Y Z. Laid out there, the plexiglass on top, the clips on there. Keep it, and it's a great way. And I can move the game. I can carry it around, and you know, because Mike have been playing this for, we've been playing a little while. I can move it off the table and off to the side. And, and it's just that's uh, great. I, I am I'm floored, Jeff. This is the first great idea you've ever had. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. These. This use of this simple and what twenty bucks, thirty bucks? You yeah, this was twenty dollars for this. You get the back, you get the plexiglass, yeah. you get the clips, and yeah. it's ready to go. Yeah. So I can't recommend this enough. Although I see you still use this. Um, he's got these strange little bowls of counters on the side. Yeah. What's with that? Well, my wife uh, makes jewelry. Yes. And so she bought all all these wooden bowls to keep beads and yeah. gemstones and things in. And then she went to a different system, so she oh. gave me all these little wooden bowls. Which I have used to to hold counters like the you know the first fire counters and the prep fire yeah, counters and all that stuff. But if those get knocked over, you're in trouble. They don't knock over. Oh, oh let me let me see look. if I can knock them over. Look. Well, you yeah oh yeah look. you could. <laughs> but look, I mean they're okay. They it's got some pretty good well. balance. Yeah, but well, still maybe I would, we'll put a picture. You should photograph that and put yeah, it on the next. We'll show. put it on for this show. Yeah, this but show. I'll put a picture and on show them the little frames and yeah. everything because I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about scenarios played. I played Moses Blazes, J77, with a rookie, Mark Woods. When was that? Uh, at the PASL Club. Oh, oh, okay. Last time. It's yeah, f- which I missed because I had my fishing trip yeah, coming so up. Yeah, we did yeah. miss you. It was a five-turn game. It has some Germans defending a bridge crossing from some British all-in carriers. 
and with two wasps, which are flame-throwing little carriers. And so Ken Smith is going to talk about the carriers. Flame-throwing little carrier, you. (laughs) Yeah, and they were deadly. And what I learned from this, um, one, I couldn't make a morale check to save my life, but, oh, yeah, like the dice is the reason I lost. I lost against a rookie. Um, How much of a rookie is he? Total. Totally new player. Do I know where did he come from? From my old church, the Methodist church. Oh, okay. And uh, he, he's at the guys' nights games. All right. And I thought you want to come over some more and get in more into this. He was like, Yeah, I like World War Two. And this is a scenario by Ian Daglish, who we hope to interview. Yeah, soon, coming up soon. Author. Mm-hmm. And um, Bob Holmstrom was there, and he ended his game real early. He came over and he was kibitzing. He suggested that I was trying to shoot them with Panzer Files, but you have a Neg-2 versus a small target, Neg-2 versus a motion vehicle right. as these little little carrier things come by. So really you're not going to hit with a Panzer Files. Yeah. But I was just so hopeful. Oh, if I just roll low enough. And he's like, why don't you just use IFT and shoot them at a plus two? But the problem is you have all these little half squads spread out defending Germans spread out half squads all over the place. And they have to be, you know, not one, more than one per building or whatever. And, uh, whatever, and roadblocks, but Bob was right. You, you had to try and fall back and group them up and get a big, some big shots on these vehicles as they come by because they're open-topped uh, as they come by. And this flamethrower, we were asking John Pyers and Bob, w- with these flamethrowing little tanks, I wasn't sure how they could shoot and move and stuff. And apparently they can stop, they can pull up to a target, stop two hexes away, fire at full firepower, which is 24 shot, even up, mm-hmm. and then start up and move again. Yeah. Amazing little, yeah, why not? little crazy things. Yeah. Uh, so Mark was plowing along, and I, I didn't make any morale checks, but still I had a ton of shots as he was trying to exit. I had a hidden 75 in a tank on the turn and shot him as he was trying to get off the last board to, to win. Missed, intensifier missed, and he and he got off in one. He just had to get one vehicle off. Wow. But it was a, a, a good scenario. Again, it, Ian Daglish came from one of the journals, J77, mm-hmm. and I recommend it. So Cool. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I'd like to play that sometime. Well, um, one thing, you know, I can never decide, and we didn't talk about this, but, I, you know, I, I don't know if we should have an official segment about a book report. Yeah, I think so. Or but, not. But, well, you got one. But going. I have a book report. Go ahead. Because I read a book. Throw it in there. And uh, I've just been reading more books about World War II, and this was an especially good one. And the name of the book is The Ghost Mountain Boys, Their Epic March, and The Terrifying Battle for New Guinea, The Forgotten War of the South Pacific. That is the official entire, entire title, but if you just look up The Ghost Mountain Boys, you'll find it. And it was, this was an excellent Excellent book uh, about the 32nd Infantry Division, and they're um, uh, a very well-written book. It covers, uh, I I like this because it just covers everything. It covers sort of the geography and the history of the geography of New Guinea and how New Guinea came about Mm -hmm. to be as an island, Um, about what it's comprised of, about then a, a brief history of how the war was was progressing how MacArthur was positioning troops and things for the battle for the Pacific. Then specifically about the 32nd Infantry Division, which had done very well in World War One, but by the time World War Two came around, they were sort of, eh, you know, not not 
not so hot anymore, like like a lot of the troops in those days. Without warning, without much preparation, they were sent to Australia and then to New Guinea to fight in this the most unbelievably difficult conditions. And I don't know if you know anything about New Guinea. Yes. But I don't want to go there. And after I read this book, I looked up the New Guinea Travel Service, and they say, oh, come to New Guinea. It's lovely here. And well, I'm thinking, no, well, I'm not going but to. when you go to New Guinea, you stay at the beaches. You don't go into the combat zones oh, and the, climb the mountains. Uh, what they went through, and, and the book was very good because it had a very good um, overview perspective, so you get a very um, strategic idea of what the, what was going on and with the idea behind wanting to capture New Guinea and hold it, capture it from the Japanese. Uh, you get a perspective from both sides because the, the author had also done, I should have mentioned the author's name right now, it was, uh, was it John Campbell? James Campbell. James. Not that I know. Apparently but. did a great amount of research on this because he also researched all of the the what the Japanese were doing and their ideas behind holding the island. But one of the most amazing things was the fact that these troops were deposited on the island and they were told that they needed to march across the mountains to capture Japanese positions. And they were not prepared for jungle warfare. They were certainly not prepared for New Guinea. Probably more so than the battle against the Japanese was the battle against the environment of New Guinea, which was unbelievably difficult terrain. Dense, dense jungles. Yeah, humidity. Uh, um, Humidity. Insects. Mountains that would rise like, like straight up, and then they'd go straight down the other side. Um, unbelievably torrential rain. The disease was the amount of men that were lost just to malaria and dysentery was huge. Probably eighty percent of the men fell to illness, and the you know the inability of the United States to know what to do about it. They didn't know how to combat these diseases. They had some idea what to do with malaria. You know, they would distribute quinine, um, but you needed to be careful not to take too much quinine. And and the way it was distributed, a lot of times it would just dissolve in their pockets. The, oh. the quinine capsules oh. would dissolve in their pockets. I mean, it was just they didn't have anything that they needed. None of the right equipment. None of the right. And in general thrust them forward and forced them to go on. Oh, kept pushing them, pushing. MacArthur, yeah, it was Mac- from the comfort, right? and, of, and apparently yeah. James Campbell was, is is not very flattering to MacArthur right. in this particular instance, and I haven't read any um, biographies of MacArthur's, but I'm, I've kind of liked well. to, I would like to now. But he apparently really didn't know how difficult all this was, and he was pushing these men and he would write, you know, like I say, from the comfort of, of his the veranda in in Australia. He'd write and say, "You need to move. You need to you need to move in. You know, you need to take Buno New Guinea right away. Yeah, Buna, New by Guinea, whatever. They just weren't prepared. It was terrible. The insects, the the crocodiles, the natives. There were headhunters, actually cannibals. Yeah, just incredible. I know the author went up. And with a backpack about this less weight, I think, than the soldiers actually carried and, and, and tried to climb the mountains. Went out there on his own. Oh, really? With, with a buddy, and they tried to climb the mountains. You know how I know all this about no. it, MacArthur? Because uh-huh. I just remembered that I heard this author interviewed on the Pritzker Military Library podcast. Oh, no podcast. kidding. Oh, I, gotta, oh, so. I have got to listen to that. 
Because <laughs> as you're talking, I'm going, wait a minute, I've heard all this before. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, he's interviewed in there, so you should go back and check it now. You, you know, that. I, I did not know anything about this particular engagement. I, I didn't really know anything about New Guinea, and the book was absolutely engrossing. I couldn't put it down. And heartbreaking, and yet it wasn't so um, so intimate that you get to a distraction. Yeah. I just want to say that. I mean, you do get to know uh, a few of the individuals, but it's not so intimate that that it's hard to read. Yeah. As I have, a, I have a difficult time sometimes reading that stuff. That's really, it's difficult. It's difficult, and it should be. Yeah, if it's done properly. Yeah. So. So a great book, highly recommended. It's a fast read, totally engrossing. James Campbell's The Ghost Mountain Boys. And I'll look for that Pritzker military thing maybe. And if I find that, I'll put that on the website as well. Okay. So All right. Highly recommended. And that's why I asked you for um, the Blood and Jungle I, scenario pack yeah. from Sam Tyson right. that, that oh, yeah. he so kindly sent us. Uh, I wanted to look through there because I, I could not remember all of the scenarios in there. But there was nothing in there about New Guinea. So oh, no, New Guinea. Scenarios. I'm on the lookout for scenarios that that I, take place. I know there's in New some, and yeah, and know, there must not be some. Hand, but yeah, so I'm on the lookout. If anybody knows any of those scenarios, do let me know, won't you? There's All a right, hello, well, ho pip pip, and on we go. So now, an interview with Ken, Ken Smith. Ken Smith, fascinating interview. Be listening, and we'll talk to you after that. Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, what I'm are you in, doing? I'm in here. What are you doing in here? I'm clipping counters. Using what? My nail clippers, Dave. I'm clipping counters. Jeff, Jeff, we've got to get to the tournament. People are expecting us. I know, I know. Our, our fan base is there, Jeff. Jeff. Dave, I oh, cannot oh. go to the tournament with ragged corners on my counters. Leave but, me alone. i got to clip these. But all, but all two of our listeners are there waiting uh, to I've hear only from got us, 400 Jeff. counters to go. Give me... Can you come back tomorrow? No, 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 no. Here, 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 here. No, it won't take here, eight here. hours. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I'm, Remember, the C4 corner cutter. Oh, the C4 corner cutter. I totally forgot. How could you have forgotten? Here, here it is. Take the C4, Jeff. I can cut hundreds of counters. Hundreds of counters. Line them up right in there. All right. Hold that blade. All right. Ready, go. Wow. Load in another five. There you go. This is amazing. Ten more. Oh my gosh. Another thing. Can anything be easier? This is fantastic. This is a miracle. How did I ever get by without a C4 corner cutter? You ready to go to the tournament? Dave, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Don't let ragged corners ruin your next squad leader tournament. Get a C4 corner cutter from Counter Culture. When you order, mention the two half squads and they'll toss a dollar into the shipper. Yep, a buck in the box just for mentioning the two half squads. And there's no time limit on this offer. Something else, the C4 has gone retail, so check with your local hobby or game store to see if they have it. Speed up the tedious task of clipping counters one at a time. Get the C4 corner cutter. Less time clipping means more time gaming. And a buck in the box, too. For more info, just click the link on our show site. Hello, Ken Smith. Hey, how you doing? This is Dave Kleinschmidt of the Two Half Squads. Good to hear from you. And we are recording. And this is Jeff Hallett. How are you? I'm fine. Oh, good. Well, thanks. We had a little technical difficulty. I don't know how that happened, but I think it's because we're inept.
<laughs> this is not our main job. You ever heard the phrase FedCAC? Problem exists between chair and keyboard? Yes, exactly. I think this is one of those instances. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to join us tonight. We appreciate it. Enjoy your show. I just, ironically, I was listening to the last two episodes last, uh, last week. I finally got around to it. Oh, you really? Me. And so you've been listening around the clock to get caught up? At the well, expense I of all. <laughs> I can go back and catch up on the old ones. I just kind of started where I started and sort of move forward. Always move forward. You know? Yeah, good. Well, we thought we'd start off with, um, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little about, well, first of all, Ken Smith is the illustrator or painter, illustrator, correct? For the, a lot of the journal covers, uh, listeners, squad leader fans, that's where you will have seen his work. And we'll be talking a little bit about it later, but we thought we'd start off with your, uh, briefly your gaming background. Would you mind telling us how you got into, cause you do play squad leader also, correct? I do, yeah. Well, I try to. It's really hard to find opponents down here. I, I envy all you guys up in Chicago and places like that that have uh, 20 people to play with. I heard one of your podcasts say one of you guys have played a 1,000 games. I played like probably 50, maybe 60. Oh. <laughs> well, but you're making better art. See, I, I played the 1,000 games, but you make much better art than I do. So <laughs> so it's, it's a good trade-off. I guess. I don't know. Well, I had started, um, I started with Gettysburg around 67, 68, something like that, the original. I won with the pink Confederate colors, which I've always found terribly offensive. And I've kind of gone through everything since then. I'm, I'm really in the process over the last year. I decided I'm going to sell everything that I don't play and that I probably never will play. So I've gotten rid of almost everything that I had all the old S&T stuff and all that. So I'm just down to things that I'm, I might conceivably actually play sometime in the next five years, a smaller lot. Hope that includes Squad later. It does, indeed. I I, uh, I, well, I had Squad Leader when when, it, when they released Chronicle. I bought into that. and actually had someone living next door that I had a person to actually play with, which was cool. And I bought ASL when it came I had about a year previously moved away from the guy I was with, and we could never get together. And I just, I just could not figure it out by myself. It was just, I just couldn't get it. And that, that first scenario where you uh, trying to figure out all this stuff about just shooting and moving, and then suddenly you've got to deal with smoke. And there's a whole chapter on smoke. I was like, yeah, I can't do it. It's too much. I know the but feeling. I, I was looking back, back. Right after ASL came out, I went to a time management seminar at work, and it was one of those things where they they tell you to think about what you want to accomplish today and what do you want to accomplish this week, this month, this year, five years, this year. But, and then over the course of the day, you narrow it down to like 12 things you really want to do. And I know like number five on that list was learn to play ASL. <laughs> of all the things that I had to prioritize, so I finally did, and uh, I guess around 99, 2000, something like that, I finally discovered Vassal, which was amazing that existed, and uh, started playing online with some guys in Atlanta, and actually went contests, what do you call those things, conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, a tournament, or? Yes. <laughs> so that was cool. I played a lot online, totally online there for five or six years, and I've kind of gotten out of it again, so I've, I've got 
two games slowly going now on Vassal, and it's kind of about it. There's a play, though, had a chance. So where do you live? You live somewhere where there are not a lot of squad leader players. Do you live out in the country? No, I don't. I live in southwest Virginia, unless you consider southwest Virginia to be out in the country, the entire part of the state, which it is. Well, yes, we do. No, it's pretty built up. I've been there. You Chicago guys probably relate to that. I came from Knoxville, which was not exactly, you know, the urban metropolis either, but there were more people there that played than than there are here. Through you guys, I found one guy that actually lives in the same town as me, so we've been been playing email, but we haven't actually hooked up yet for a face-to-face thing, but... We hope to. Someday. Yeah, I do, I do remember getting you guys hooked up uh, oh, on yeah, the air. Right. On the air, so that's we're glad. That was cool. Uh, well, would you mind telling us a little bit about your art background? Did you go to art school, or are you self-taught artist? Or um, I went to the University of Tennessee, and I was a um, a painting major. And I fluctuated between the graphic design major and the painting major because I'd get annoyed with one and switch to the other, and kind of back and forth the whole time I was in school. And, I had the great fortune of being at a painting art and a state school in the 70s. And in the 70s, there was expressionism was really the only thing that was going. And uh, my teachers just hated realism, hated it. Everything that had to do with it, they hated. Yep. It was very difficult to do anything that was uh, realistic at all. And uh, I did I've talked to several people who do historical art that are about my age, and uh, they all had exactly the same experience. They were all in college, wanting to be, you know, illustrated, and just wasn't meant to be back then. So I feel I'm not self-taught, though I feel like I, I largely am. But where I really learned the most of how to paint was I I got a master's degree from Syracuse University in illustration, and I really learned more there. And two weeks than I had learned in four years previously, so that made a huge difference, and that's that's kind of what led me to doing the uh, military art and the squad leader stuff and all that. Yeah, of all the things, uh, obviously you could illustrate anything you want, uh, unless your teachers didn't like it, but you picked uh, World War II. Is that mostly what you do? Well, I think my standard line for that is, and it's true, the things I really want to paint most are soldiers and women. So if I can ah. just, just two subjects, I think it's all good. And World War II, I just, you know, I, I ended up doing that because of squad leader. I was, um, when I got my, my master's degree, that was in 96, and I started playing ASL, and uh, I actually bought the the domain name God Save the South, which I still have, because I was planning to do a whole series of Confederate-themed things. And... Uh, I have yet to do it. I'm right, right this moment doing my first Civil War painting. After all, all these years, I got kind of sidetracked on uh, World War II stuff with squad leader, and uh, I, I guess really I just like it better. You know, there, there are more uniforms, there's more cool guns, and more cool stuff. That's kind of that's what I like painting, all the cool stuff. You know, there's much more variety. That's true in the war machines of World War II compared to Civil War. I noticed on your website um, you do have the Victorian Actress series. Yeah. That was my, when I realized, I wanted to teach in college, and I realized between 96 and uh, 2004 that a master, an MA, which is what I had, was not enough to teach in college anymore. You had to have an MFA. I went back to school again, 
and got an MFA in uh, illustration from the University of Oxford. And uh, my master's thesis show was uh, Victorian actresses. That was that was really fun. My significant other is uh, kind of a historical theater buff, and she helped me with uh, finding these people. And I, I approached them just like the military stuff. I find all the pictures I can find out of them, and we recreated their costumes from the original photographs and, and read what their most prominent roles were. And then I figured out what to paint, what, what are they going to be doing in the picture. So that was a great thought. Yeah, I like it, and there's some his history here. I'm um, looking at Maude Adams on your website. Uh, that She played the part of Peter Pan 237 times on Broadway and thereupon entered the Peter Pan collar into the fashion vernacular, and a lot of history there. So so um, this is just something your your significant other was interested in, and then you, you kind of took that and treated that as a research project, it sounds like. Well, every, everything I do is a research project, I've, and it takes forever. And one of the things I like, doing, I'm going to do in the future, is more vignette paintings of just soldiers, or maybe women, just in their gear and their garb, which these Victorian actresses are kind of like that, but gosh, everything. This summer I was working on an Indian massacre painting and this Civil War painting, and they both just took an outrageous amount of research to figure out what everybody was going to be doing and what they were wearing and what it looked like and all that stuff. And almost feels like by the time you get around to painting one of the things you're done, because I've spent so much time on it before even putting any paint on the board. I was like, oh, gosh, I'm done now, but now I paint the thing. So I want to get something that's a little more direct where I can just kind of paint. I like painting people and just kind of be more more to the point like that. But, yeah, the actresses took a, a lot of research, and not just research, but you have to, you know, we made all those costumes that they were wearing so that they matched what women were wearing in their original roles. Then you figure out what the roles were like and where were they doing it at, and blah, blah, blah. It's just all very complicated. It sounds like it's uh, similar to writing a book. You go and do all the research, all the research, all the research. And I, I've never written a book, but I imagine I, I would enjoy doing the research, and then I would think, well, gee, why do I need to write the book now? I've learned, <laughs> right. I've learned everything I need to know. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's cool, too. You know, when, when people see the paintings and, you know, they're like, why is this this way and why is that that way? There's, there's a reason for it. There's rarely anything that's just there. I have um, always appreciated the, the work of Frank Frazetta, the fantasy artist. Are you familiar with his work? Say that again. Uh, I always liked Frank Frazetta, the, the fantasy oh, yeah. illustrator. Yeah, he's, he's great. The best science fiction guy, maybe the best of everything. He just died recently. He, yes, he did. One of his paintings sold for a million dollars. I think Jeff sent me the link on that. It's amazing. And to read about his technique, he, he just he can do research and he just sit down and paint it. You know, yeah, right. On, yeah, yeah, it came from somewhere. Um, were there artists like like that that influenced you, or like N. C. Wyeth, the illustrator? N. C. Wyeth is my biggest influence. Whenever I do a painting, I pull out all my Wyeth books and look at the pictures. Because that's that's what I want to do. If I can do something that's approaching a NCY style thing, then I'm I'm there. That's good. Frazetta is just kind of beyond me, but I love his work, and I, I do look at the you know the, the technique, the colors, and the paint. It's just amazing. Yeah, it is, it is truly, and um, yeah, and you've been to the NCYF museum in Brandywine. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, when I went there, I was just wowed, but. Um... Do you have a museum dedicated to your work yet? Do I what? 
Do you have a museum dedicated to your work also? <laughs> well, I have a small museum dedicated to some of my work. I, the, uh, if you notice on my website, there's those French and Indian War paintings. Yeah, yeah. There's five of those, and they were done to commemorate the 250th anniversary of the uh, of Fort Loudon, which was a French and Indian War era fort in East Tennessee. And there's one painting done for each year of the history of the fort. So I've, I've given the paintings to the visitor center down there on, on permanent loan, and they have a little wall set up in their museum where these paintings are all displayed with little placards and stuff. So it's sort of like a museum. So that's kind of fun. Oh, excellent. Yeah, and I love those paintings also. I just love the French and Indian War also. It's just the, Ir- the Indian, the Iroquois and all, and the uniforms. And Well, um, now, paintings like that, do you do you work from, uh, do you have models? I mean, do you work with models, or do you work with photographs, or do you, how, how do you set something up when you're going to do a piece? Or do you just do it from it. your from your head? Oh, God, no. I wish I could. That would be great, but I'm not... I'm not that good. Uh, I work from photographs of models. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, one thing that, that if, if you look at it, a lot of illustrators' work, especially if they're trying to make a living at it, which I'm not, uh, they have to do stuff in a hurry, and it's impossible to hire models and get the uniforms and all that stuff in a hurry to try to make a living. So a lot of times they'll pull existing World War II pictures and just do a painting of them, which, which is fine but it, it limits what you can do. So anytime I do a painting, I, I, I find models, and I, and typically I try to find models that have the equipment so that I don't have to go rummage around and find all that stuff and buy it. And I photograph them and all the, the, the poses that I want. I do little tiny sketches of what the scene's going to look like. And I have them pose, you know, with the proper lighting and the, and the position that I want. I'm wearing the equipment that I need for them to have, so, and I photograph everybody. And that, they're never in the same place, or they're rarely in the same place at the same time. So I photograph them all from a similar angle and a similar light and then kind of put them all together in the artwork. One of the, I, I haven't got my, my latest Indian massacre painting on the website yet, but that was actually, I, I drove to Cherokee, North Carolina to find a Cherokee. I had a couple of British soldier guys come over and got them all to pose together in this sort of uh, Indian about to club the uh, redcoat scene. And it came uh, just a huge downpour as soon as we got there and got set up. And I was going to shoot it outside because the original massacre was outside. It was in a field, and I had a field in Cherokee, North Carolina. It was perfect. But it wasn't raining that day, so I drove around and finally found a pavilion a covered pavilion that had been turned into a skate park. And there was no one there because it was raining, so we went in there and set everything up and started shooting, and then the rain quit, and all these kids came in and started skateboarding. So all my all my reference photos of my Indian massacre scene have in the background their skateboarders and guys goofing with their skates. <laughs> so you just painted them in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I just took them out. We did the good stuff. It's kind of comical looking up. That's amazing. How do you find models? Do you do you Place an ad somewhere that I I need guys with no. uh, with authentic Thongs. British <laughs> yeah. red coat. Yeah, I, I do I do I do a lot of different eras of reenacting, some more than others. But so I have kind of personal friends and connections, and ah. a lot of French and Indian War stuff. I've been doing that for twenty years, but also uh, World War Two and some Civil War people. So usually I just 
email three or four contacts and tell them, you know, I need um, the painting I'm working on now. The next journal covers a marine painting, so I emailed the marine reenactment group and said, look, I need to late war marines, kind of young, kind of thin, mix of weapons, you know, anything like that. And it turned out there was a, this is weird, but there was a Saipan reenactment at Gettysburg this summer. So, so wow. I drove up can't, there. Can't beat that with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> so I drove up and photographed my marines there at Gettysburg. And good to go. And so, and therefore... I remember in one of our correspondents you talked about that you highly prize uh, historical accuracy. I do. And, you know, I'm, I don't, one of the, I don't know if you're familiar with Don Trulliani, who's the, yes. the biggest Civil War art painter. He yeah. says that he has never been, he's, no one has ever caught him in an inaccuracy in his painting. And that's probably true. I and mean, he does an outrageous amount of research on everything, and he owns three-fourths of the equipment that actually is in the paintings, and he spends does like four years and it's just full-time things I, i'm not that good I, I do the best i can and then i move on to the next thing i hate it when there's something inaccurate in there usually it's not an inaccuracy like like i wouldn't have a 1950s rifle in a world war ii painting but it's like the um some guy on one of the forums had gone to um primasoli bridge that painting took place and uh, so i emailed i said did you see any stone walls around that bridge because i just made that up and he said well no, not really. So, you know, so I put the stone wall in. I thought, surely there must be a stone wall around there somewhere. Apparently not. <laughs> oh. <So that's, laughs> well, it looks like a dirt embankment to me, maybe. <laughs> that's what I should have done. There's dirt embankments everywhere. So I, I try to make it as right as I can, but sometimes you, sometimes you get it and sometimes you miss. Well, when I look at, at your paintings, and I've, I've painted lots of miniatures, um, Historically accurate, I believe, uh, and yeah, I look at them and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah I remember your dragons, your my, dragons. <laughs> no, not really... my not my fantasy miniatures, oh, my okay. historical minis for yeah. ASL and miniature and other games. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking at your paints, like of the Primusol Bridge. Was that ASL Journal Six? The British guys yeah. behind the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm remembering. Oh yeah, these are the jackets, the cool camo jackets, and the stuff in the hats and the helmets. I mean, and. You know, their leggings, okay, I got them the right color. So I'm looking at your work trying to see if I got it right. But uh, I know what you mean. Sometimes you look something up and there's a slight change in a uniform or that that's kind of uniform didn't get to this place at that time, and it's really hard to keep all that straight. Well, there's conflicting information, too. I, I had a, I met, there's a, another French and Indian war artist that did a print for Fort Necessity up in Pennsylvania, and I, I was with, my reenactment group up there doing a program, and the unit that we portray in East Tennessee is the same unit that was at Fort Necessity, so their uniforms are the same. So he came up to our commander and he said, is that what that green looks like? <laughs> he said, yes, it is. As a matter of fact, our professional dyer in the fort made it to match precisely the same. He said, oh, gosh. Because <laughs> the green he'd used was much more of a forest green than the green that was actually on the uniforms we were wearing. So, you know, you, you do what you can, and yeah. sometimes it's right. It's hard. hard to be precisely right when recreating history. And it's phenomenally complicated, too, when you start. When you, you think about, well, I'm, I'm going to do a painting, a picture of, of anything that's not happening today, there's a lot of stuff that goes involved in that. Like, when, where is the sun coming up, and what is it really? Is it raining? Or is it clear? Or... 
know, which way are they facing, and what you know, like that um, that Afro cover I did. It was very complicated. You know, trying to figure. You know, MMP just says um, do something on the Battle of Alamhofa. Of course, I'd never heard of the Battle of Alamhofa. I didn't know anything about it at all. So I had to go look it up, and then once you know what the battle is, though, you have to decide which side am I going to show. So you have to kind of read about the whole thing and decide where the where the drama is, and it's like, okay, I'm going to do the Germans. They have color uniforms. And uh, so then what are they going to be doing? And the, well, I read about it, and I, the, to me the moment in that battle that was interesting was the morning because they had drove in at night with their tanks, ran into a minefield, got totally tangled up, and they were bombed by, uh, right before daylight. So when the sun came up, they were in a sorry, a sorry fix. So that seemed like the most dramatic part to me. So I had to find out which way they were going, which was east, and the sun was in the east, so the sun would be in their eyes, and uh, you know, put bombers tailing off in the, the sky in the background there. And so you know, it's kind of basic. And then what were they wearing? What their uniforms looked like that that year? Because like, German uniforms change over the years. You kind of track that down. So it's 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 fun. It's interesting if you're interested in history, but it's it makes it slow going. It's incredible. I never appreciated it this much, but hearing you talk about it, it it's amazing and that's what a, goes into it. That's the one on the uh, journal issue five. Yeah. So how did you get um, how did you get hooked up with MMP and start doing work for them? Well, I had just gotten my master's degree, and I thought, well, I would like to do historical art, and I was deeply involved in trying to learn to play squad leader at the time first time in my life. And uh, I was getting the journal covers. I thought, well, you know, I could, I bet I could do a journal cover. So I actually emailed Kurt Schilling because he was involved with it at the time. And I I said, I would be willing to just do one on spec. If you'll just pay me whatever your normal rate is, but all I ask is that you just give it a fair showing and hope it's, if it's good enough to use, use it. If it's not, fine. And he said, sure, go to it. And, uh, and actually the... The painting that I did for that was the one that's on the last journal cover, that journal eight. It's the first World War II painting, actually the first historical painting I've ever done. And it was actually created for solitaire ASL, SASL 2. Okay. But I think what happens, I was, you know, I was kind of new at doing it. I'd been an art director, a magazine art director for years, so I was, I'm very familiar with the other side of the, Desk, but actually being the illustrator, you know, I, I sent them a sketch just to show show them that I am actually doing this. I wasn't kidding, but it, it wasn't finished. It was sort of half done, and I I've never asked Brian about this, but if, if I were them, if I'd seen that sketch, I think nah, this is not going to work out. So we need to go ahead. So they went ahead and actually printed Vessel Two with some other thing before I got got finished with the one I was doing. But they liked it and uh, asked if I could do another one. So. I, so I did, so I was happy to see that they finally got around to actually putting that picture on the cover. That was cool. Yeah, it's a great piece. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What I'm doing is I'm showing Jeff each yeah. of the covers. I have all of, all of the journals here, and I'm holding them up, showing Jeff <laughs> as you're talking. So you it's listeners at home, you have to hold them up in front of yourself. And we, we talked about this piece uh, on our recent Episode didn't we, Dave? No, how we, long has it been? No, we haven't. We haven't, we haven't talk, um, actually done okay. box art review on these on works one? yet. Okay. So, 
Well, you and I have talked about this. Piece. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, privately. But yeah, yeah, but, yeah actually, because it's the latest journal, so we, yeah. we looked at it. But could you tell us anything about that work of art on Journal Eight? Well, sure. It was um, see, it was done for solitary ASL. So to me, I felt like a, a an officer is kind of a solitary person in a way, particularly when he's out on his own. So I thought showing a low-level officer, somebody who would be a squad leader level person, like you know, an A2, would be a good thing to do. So I actually got a, a friend of mine, my, one of our scout leader's sons, had just gotten out of the Marines. So I got him to come over to the house, and I, I had World War II gear at that time, American stuff. So I got him to pose in my living room, just like he is on the, the cover. That's the lead character, right, looking around the corner? Yeah. Yeah. And I got the, the two people in the background, or one of my sons posts for both those. And uh, I think I pulled the, the actual the buildings and the scenes. I just went through a bunch of French World War II photographs, kind of what the countryside was, and kind of cobbled it together from that. And the, the walls and buildings and stuff for... Um, I think that I looked at some paintings by a French painter named Alphonse de Neuville, who's one of my favorite artists. He does Franco-Prussian War art from, from that era. And I was looking at the way he was painting walls and uh, cupboards, or whatever he calls doors, kind of using that as a jumping-off point for how that would be. Kind of put it together. From there, I noticed somebody in one of the uh, one of the forums said, what is going on with the perspective on the on the ground there, I just thought I'll get it, and uh, he's right. I don't know what's going on with the perspective there. I just sort of lost focus there as I was trying to figure out. Really? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't see a problem with it. It looks. It looks great to me. Well, good. I like your. Uh, I like curse, your curse yeah. that forum person. He's no box art reviewer. Who does he think he is? <laughs> does he mean the back of the building, or well? Well, the, the way I I did it, the way it was convenient for me to do it. So, and what I pictured was that the the edge of that building would go straight back. Yeah. Ninety degrees, no deviation, and that's that's the, what I see. And the other stuff, and every, you know, but that rarely happens like that. And but of course, everything everything that's physically possible does happen somewhere. So you can kind of justify it, I guess. But it's just not an ideal. Thing. Well, I, I actually I did. Yeah, I do kind of see what you're talking about now that you mention it, but it took me a while to focus in on it. Like yeah. it's in the dark, it's on the ground, and yes. nobody looks down there. So right. <laughs> yeah. When I did the original painting, I had uh, I had an M1 carbine, so I had all the people carrying that. And later on, when they didn't actually use it for this, and I got around to turning it into a collector's print, I, yeah, I'd had several people look at it and said, you know, all those guys wouldn't be carrying an M1 carbine. They'd have real guns. So I went back and retrofitted a grand rifle to the two people who were doing it. Now, the other complaint I've got about this one, the, the guy in the back that's shooting up in the, in the air is my son holding a gun. And, of course, he was he doesn't shoot all that much, and he didn't have the butt of the rock resting against his shoulder. And I had some, uh, some World War II veteran looked at him and said, Boy, if you hold that gun like that, that'll break your shoulder. Yeah, you're going to get a little kickback. <laughs> I actually shot shotguns with my sons at a summer camp this summer, and... Boy, my son took two hits of that on his shoulder and said, okay, I'm done trying a gun for today. <laughs> so that was still not quite there. And then when I did the print, I, I'm convinced, although my sales don't actually reflect this, that if you do something that's very specific, 
I think it has a better likelihood of being uh, popular and being sold more and people being enthusiastic about it. Like instead of just doing, well, here's a here's an American soldier somewhere in France. I wanted to do something that was specific. So, right. So I researched when I was going on in, in France in 1944, and uh, I, I found a, a scene that was written about in Joe Palkowski's book, maybe, about a, um, a group of 29th Division that had gone to a little village called St. Clair where they were going to take a break. When they got there, it was infested with German paratroopers. It's not so I thought, well, that's that's perfect. I'll just I'll just use that. That will be my story to go with this. So I put a 29th Division patch on their helmets and on their shoulder, and uh, I did the prints. And I was at a right as soon as I got the prints finished, I I never even taken them out of the box. I went to a uh, a military show in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had it framed and was up there. First guy that came up to my table said, uh, "He's not my age, like 50, 45, 50." So well, What's that a painting of? And I, and I told him that whole story about St. Clair and blah, blah, blah. He said, uh, my uncle was at St. Clair. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, he was there. And uh, it happened just like just like it was described. You know, the paratroopers were there, and they came in. They took a lot of casualties. So uh, so he bought print number one. He gave it to his uncle, who said was uh, actually hanging over his bed and passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. Excellent. That's great. How big was this was this piece? I mean, how big is the original of this piece? I'm not very smart. What medium is this in? It's all in oil. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, oil paints. Oil. Okay, the the, the smelly, slow drying ones. <laughs> yes, I don't use them that way though. I make them fast drying oil. Oh, okay. But um, they all, all my paintings are about two by three feet. Well, that's not very large then, right? It's it's pretty big. I mean, it's like three that's times up from the, yeah. from the size of the, the cover. And what that does, <laughs> I, back when I was first starting this, I thought, you know, bigger is better. If you want to be in a gallery, big paintings are cooler than little paintings. And yeah. that's, that's where my decision came from, from that. So I just did them three times larger than the covers. It's like 33 by 25 and a half. Uh, and I figure, you know, it's bigger. I just use bigger brushes. They'll all go just as fast. <laughs> that turns out not true either. It goes much slower painting big paintings than it does small paintings. But but I like the feel of it. You know, I can I can do big swashy stuff that I can't do with little bitty things, and uh, and they look cool when they're big like that. And when they you reduce them down to cover size, they look really tight. You know, everything looks super right. detailed because I can. I can think fairly tight, you know, three feet tall, and when it's reduced down to eight and a half by eleven, it's really tight. And, and uh, well, how, what happens when you, when you finish a piece, you sell it to MMP? Well, I want to interject, but oh. when I when I thought when I was thinking it was small, I had been to the Dolly Museum. Yeah, and Dolly had painted like fifteen feet by you know twelve or whatever these giant paint. Oh, more than fifteen. It was up on a ladder painting these huge walls, but. Um, the, the things I have painted back in the day were about about the size you're talking about. I understand what you're saying. So, Jeff, what did you ask? I was saying, what happens to the paintings? I keep them here, and I take them to a, um, a uh, copy photo copy person. Mm-hmm. 
uh, they used to make four by five transparencies of them, and then they do a scan and color correct it and all that. But now they they have gigantic digital cameras, so they just they photograph the uh, the painting and color correct it while the originals there, and then I just ship them a JPEG. And then the painting goes. The painting um, is that the property then of MMP, or do they uh, do you keep the property on that, the rights on that, or how does that work? Usually, when and the way it works with me and MMP, and it's the same for everybody, you know, including Time Magazine and everything else. Usually, when an illustrator sells a painting, they sell first North American usage of it, or like in the case of MMP, they first worldwide usage of it, or or second or third or fourth or however many it is, but. Uh, so that means that they have the right to reproduce it in that context once. And that's all they get. They get the reproduction rights to use it. So, like so they, they decided, they decided they to take the cover and turn it into, you know, a series of 12 box covers. That would, that would be beyond the, the bounds of the agreement. They'd have to go back and pay more for that. Okay. So you, you own the original and you can sell prints of the original. Yeah. So I keep the original. So that gets me to my next question. One, what would it cost me to get the Hakapala original painting from you? Uh, it would be expensive. I, I don't really, I don't sell any of these because I've, I've got them priced high enough that it's not a casual decision, and they're very, uh, they're very specific, as, as you can tell. But you know, painting like that, that size, probably in the ten to fifteen thousand range. What? Which for oh. that kind of painting is pretty cheap. I was thinking like five hundred dollars. No, seriously. Really? Was. Well, you? the only work of art I bought was from my college professor for two hundred and fifty. I mean, real work yeah. of art. So, oh, oh, wow. you're we, kidding we me. have a great spot here at you know, the, uh, you at know, the two half squads recording studio. We it have would a great hang spot on right the wall here on there. the wall. And you know, rather than make a, a little donation to our podcast for being a listener. You could just ship over this painting, <laughs> Ken. <laughs> I have some. I have some very fetching-looking uh, limited edition prints that would. Okay. What, what, what would those? What, what would the print cost me for one of these? For you, I would make a special deal. Their retail price is is ninety-five, but often okay. drop it down even beyond beyond and below that. Sometimes I have Christmas specials, and sometimes I give them away at uh, squad leader conventions. So. Oh, wow. Now, are you going to be at Aslock by any chance? I don't know. I've wanted to do that for years, and I just cannot get that to fit into my schedule. But uh, okay. I hope this year to make it to NMP's thing in, uh, in January. Oh, yeah. Whatever. I can't remember the name of it. I actually went to that one. The winter, winter Offensive, I think they call it. Or Winter yeah. War. Or Winter War. Yeah, I can't remember. Two. No, Winter War is in Champaign. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um well, 95 is a great deal, actually, for print. Like, I, I, did, I had bought a print by Dietz. You know the artist Dietz, D-I-E-T? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, we mentioned him before on his show, back when we were early doing the uh, box art reviews. Um, which, which one of his did you get? It was the Hurtgen Forest. Yeah, love that one. Yeah, he's Winter really good. He's an amazing illustrator. Do you yeah. sell on your website, Ken? I do. There's, uh, It's all set up for PayPal. Get it in there and... Uh, well, we want to urge our listeners to visit, and we'll put a link yes, to we your do. website on our on our show notes, like we usually do. And we'll urge our listeners to go and and take a look and um, buy some of your stuff because it is it would be really cool to have a limited edition, some limited edition prints of some of these things would be and, amazing. And Jeff often posts a, a like a, a photo, you know, on the web, on our website 
on the link to the show? Can can we just import an image of yours on there? Would that be violating some kind of laws? As long as you have permission, it's fine. And you've got my permission, pull off, pull off whatever you want to. And oh, wonderful. Thanks. Thank you. That's great. We'll put on one of the French and Indian War ones instead. <laughs> Squad leader ones. No, we won't. So I'll have my Indian um, group hanging up there. It's very impressive. It's the most <laughs> active one to date. You know, in those instances when MMP, they'll call you, right? They'll call you and they'll say, we we need a piece about, you know, a particular event. And then how long do you get between from, from a phone call or from a first contact to when you deliver a piece? How long does that take? If it was if it was a straight line, we need this, please go do it, probably six months would be reasonable. Hmm. But it always takes much longer than that. It takes me a long time to do it, and I don't have time to... Yeah, I'm not a full-time painter, so I kind of do this on summers now that I'm a college teacher, nights and weekends, so it, it takes me longer to get it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Practically, you know, they, they tell me stuff way, way in advance of when they're going to need it. Like, well, yeah. Their production cycle is so fast, I'm surprised. <laughs> well, <laughs> you probably deliver stuff two years before they do. No, we're kidding, Chaz. We're just kidding. There's so many we scenarios always, now. We always give them a hard time. But there's so many that. scenarios now I can't even keep up. So come on. This is all I false. This is I false. know, but we, but we like to, to give MMP a hard time about how long it takes them to deliver stuff. But So we know for sure it's not because Ken Smith is dragging his heels on the, on the cover art. Well, we say that now, but I'm, I'm supposedly doing the, uh, the next journal cover, and uh, I'm not dragging my heels. I'm very busy on it, but it's going to be right down to the wire with me getting it done. It's one of those things that I thought I would work on over the summer, but I got caught up in these other projects, and uh, hey, it's on the board. I would, I would say you should slow it down, and that would that would get HP, Hakapala, out sooner, except um, they were looking for playtesters for Hakapala, and um, it was great. Chaz emailed me. Well, no. <laughs> they put out a general call, and I emailed Chaz and said, I might be able to do some more playtesting. I thought we were done. And he sent me the two scenarios to playtest, and I emailed him back and said, um, wow, these are the two that Dave Timmon and I refused to, to play to. <laughs> they were too long or they had night rules or something. And he emailed me back and said, that's why they're not done. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I said, okay, we'll get it, we'll try and get on it. But Well, that Hakatawa is a good example that uh, the second World War II painting I ever did was the Hakatawa painting. Because once they saw, when they saw what I did with the, the one that ended up on the last journal cover, they said, well, we'd like you to do the painting for the finished painting. It was awesome because I'd, you know, I'd really love to be on a box cover. I just think that's cool. And, uh, you know, um, it's that guy's name that, that does all those, George. Parrish was the first one. Parrish, yeah. His work is gorgeous. It would be great to have uh, <clears throat> like he had. So I was all up for that. So so I did this, and this was, this was probably 2000, 2001 or something like that long time ago and, and it looks like it might be printed next year yeah i think they're playing a post christmas yeah early yeah. next year um ken you quite frankly your work is better your, your work is the best of all the illustrators for all of the asl product well okay most all of them i mean i've been you know i've been looking at them all and your work is right up there there may be one or two other guys that i liked as good as you not better than you so I, they better keep you 
as their artist? <laughs> well, Brian keeps saying he'd love for me to do more stuff. It's uh, it's very time consuming. I, you know, I do it because it's it's fun, it's cool, and I like doing it. It's not something I make any money at. So, I, you know, and I thought one of my original theories, which proved not to be true at all, was that. ASL has a worldwide reach. It probably, if you did an ASL or a journal cover, it would go to a jillion people all over the world. So if, yeah. if you got a small percentage of those, you sell lots of prints. But all 250 of them. <laughs> yeah, that turned out not to be true. Yeah. Well, and I was talking about a gun show about. It. I said, you know, he said, you know, these are great, but ninety-five dollars, I could buy a pistol for that. <laughs> <laughs> like okay. that many. Yeah. I guess you can't kill somebody with one of your paintings, so. <laughs> or you could get uh, probably several journals and some squad-leader things for the price of one print. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it'd really be interesting to have an art on your wall, too. Well, you know, I, um, well, hopefully this show might generate some business for you, but, but no. Yeah, I, we I hope so. I absolutely love your work, and I will get to them on a box art review someday soon. Well, Kind of soon. I think I might do all the annual covers first because I have to go in order. <laughs> um, you know. But um, uh, would you like to select one of the box covers and give us a quick little critique? Well, I could do that. I have a pile here, but I haven't actually narrowed anything down to one. Well, just pick one and give us all your professional them. review of it. All right. How about Cody Bushido? Yes, Bushido. Wonderful. Yes. And it's good that you don't have anything prepared because we don't prepare at all for this show. Totally off the cuff. We're off. We're off the cuff, guys. <laughs> I, I think Cody Bushido is one of my my favorite ASL covers for several reasons. The it has the classic triangular composition that seems to be so popular with so many artists. And the, uh, <laughs> but also I like that, you know, it's really hard to do a night scene because it's dark and, you know, it's hard to get enough detail in there to, to see what's going on. If you can do dark paintings, but they won't reproduce and come out murky. So I think he's done a really interesting job of, you know, using purple as the, kind of the overall, uh, unifying color, which makes it dark. And, and purple's a good color to, uh, one of my painting teachers used to say, if your painting was messed up, you just, a uniform purple wash over the whole thing and it will unify the whole painting. And it's kind of what he's done here. All the the white uniforms are purples, the white flag is purple, the background's purple. Uh, I, I like the I like the stuff. You know, he's got some really good looking guns there and grenades and mortars and samurai swords and all kinds of stuff. So I think I'm kind of in the more stuff, the more toys, the better you can see these things. I love all that. Really like the way he put the, the flag up there, which works works especially well with the the title. I don't I don't know if he knew it was going to have a title on it when he painted it, but it makes the Japanese flag important, but kind of in the background because you know a high contrast red ball like that would draw your eye right to it, and you never see those soldiers otherwise. So the in the background really makes the guys pop out and allows you to sort of follow that line. Right down from the foreground to the middle, and then the guns carry you right off the edge, right to the box, where you are to lift it up and look inside, which is kind of the standard standard compositional thing for owning any magazine cover. You want to drive their eye to the right so that they turn the cover and look at the stuff on the inside. 
Right. Yeah. Background too. I'd like to see. It'd be interesting to see what it looks like without all this type on it and what the original looked like because there's palm trees and all kinds of stuff in the background that you can just barely, barely make out. And I paint all that. I'm, it's a personal quirk of mine. I think it's much easier to paint people than landscapes personally. I, I don't think most people think that. But I have a terrible time painting plants and stuff. And he's done a really nice job with all these, these big uh, palm trees and, and things. I just think that's a really... Really cool painting, and it's a nice touch still on the the flight pole's bamboo, and it's in two pieces. I guess I don't. I guess they did that to take them apart and carry them with them or something. It's a nice little detail. Just nicely done. Fort Ferris does really good work. It's too bad he's passed on. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, and that's a box art review from a real artist, not a pretend artist like <laughs> Dave Kleinschmidt. <laughs> I love box art review. That's my favorite thing to listen. Well, thank you. It's the only reason we're having you on is because you like. <laughs> I keep trying. I keep trying to. I keep trying to kibosh that section of the show, but uh, you, the listeners love Jeff, it. You will so not. I, you will not stop it. There is no accounting for taste. And, I guess. It's and it, amazing. We're, we're, we're all done with the basic modules. We're we're halfway through the historicals, and we're hitting the annuals and journals next. Journals are next. And yeah. then those lousy. Oh, did I give away my hand? Those lousy. Um, Photo thingies they're doing with the uh, action packs. Action lately. packs, yeah. yeah. Hey, you don't like hey, this go well. hire an artist. Come on, <laughs> MMP. But it's, so it's can a you? S- it's a lot faster and cheaper than hiring a painter to do something. Yeah, I know, yeah. but still. You, you you say you don't really, uh, or that you like to do uh, human figures and not landscapes as much. Yeah. Are, are there other things that you sort of dread when you're going into a, a painting where you think, oh, yeah, like hands or, you know, I know some <laughs> some artists will avoid hands, like have everybody walk around with hands in their pockets because they can't draw hands. <laughs> I hate Perfect. noses, so none yeah. of my men have noses. <laughs> well, they're all just so do, you, do you have something like that that you'll, like, purposely uh, frame so that you don't have to include that particular No, I, I don't, but what I, I do do, things that I know are going to be hard, I really try to get good photographic reference to go from because mm-hmm. painting stuff that you can see in front of you is not that difficult no matter what it is but yeah. I'm trying to make stuff up for you it's just it is a chore for me you know if you're Frank Frazetta you just whip it out and it's no problem but for people like me with the State University it's hard you know to try to <laughs> get everything just so yeah and, the, and the, when you did I mention this earlier when you mentioned the photographing thing the Hildebrandt brothers I know that did the Tolkien calendars yeah. some were very famous they did all the they took people and photographed them and that gets me to my next question um what would it take to get dave kleinschmidt's face put onto one of your paintings <laughs> well yeah it's really hard to it's hard to transpose the face onto a body and get everything so that it looks just so i, I did that so with I'd, have those to, I'd have to show up in costume i think that the two half squads that. the two half squads should drive should. down and pose for you I'd, uh, absolutely. I'm, you know, I've got a, uh, I have a Russian painting coming. I happen to have three Russian uniforms. So if you happen to be down here. Okay, when? Yeah, when can we be there? Well, I have to find out from Chaz when he actually needs his thing. So. Okay, you, uh, you let us know. Let's I mean, if not, you're serious, not, I'm serious. I'll even shave to yeah. do this. Get we won't tell Chaz about it. <laughs> Wait, we'll just show up. Chaz know. Because if Chaz knows, he'll cut us off. He'll, cut, he'll, he'll black cut our, our faces. <laughs> 
Put all the title right across you. That would, that would yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, the, the title would go right across it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> oh, that would be so cool. We would love to do that. We would actually uh, entertain that thought. If we, we can talk about that off the air. But. We will. So, um, uh, bef- <laughs> um, Before we let you go, I was just – we talked about three of the covers. We didn't talk about the issue four. This has the British um, carriers that's, that's because that's my least favorite. <laughs> I'll never bring that one up. Well, I noticed you have the you have the guy on the right pointing back into the photo, and you had said you know it helped you turn the page, but doesn't it also guide your eye back into the artwork to have the guy on the right pointing back in? It does, creating a little churn there. Yeah, there's a lot of things about this that I don't know why I don't like. You know, I think I've listened to you guys talk about the triangular composition well, so much. Heck with that. <laughs> Maybe it would be better if it had more of a triangular composition because it's kind of horizontal. But, but see, there's just they're just not very sexy. They're just little <laughs> they're little tinker toy tanks. That, yeah, know, but like. but on the other hand, you know, um, it, it seems your work that that seems very natural. You know, of, of a painting. Well, I've talked to a couple of people that this one's their favorite, which sounds me. The thing I wanted to get across with that, and I, this was really the first, you know, I did this, I did the painting that ended up on Journal 8 that, that wasn't published for a long time, and I did the Hockapella thing that wasn't published for a long time, so this painting is really the first one I did that went from my painting to the, the cover pretty much in short time span, and uh, I, I don't know, it's just, uh, I, I was trying to get, I read up a lot about carriers and carrier tactics, I even talked to some reenactors that, that own carriers and all that stuff. And the impression I got was that they, they treated them kind of like the cavalry. You would, it's like you would ride your horses up there and you'd get off, have somebody hold the horses, and then the guy with the guns would go fight, and then they come back and the horses and ride away. So that's kind of the same, the, the same notion I have with these carriers after talking to people that supposedly know about these things. I, I wanted the idea that they they pull their carriers up into this field and really their, their reconnaissance squad. They have the markings for the uh, Kankarecki Division, I think. Go up there, dismount, get your brain guns, and, you know, go secure the perimeter or something. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Everybody's got their, their dismounting, loading the guns, getting ready to go. The, the composition just needs to be a little better than it is. And the, well, but again, on the other hand, it's natural. And sometimes, and the, the relaxed pose of the guy in the middle, you know, adds to that kind of relaxedness of the whole composition. But um, yeah. And then there's seven. Uh, issue seven has this fantastic the Russians in the trench, and that's actually my favorite. That's my favorite too. Yeah, that's just real intense. Lots of detail. The costuming with the cloaks and the. The guy in the background, the arm is in the bandage, you know, up and the, the pistol's up by his head. He's got the red uh, hat thing like he's like, a, is he a commissar or something back there, do you know? Yeah, a commissar with the hat. And he's got a Mosin Nagant pistol, which was not really a combat pistol. It was an execution pistol. Oh. That's what the commissars carried. Oh, I didn't know that. <sighs> I didn't know that. It's kind of a revolver instead of the uh, the version of the, the Takarov that they usually carry. And I, I love those capes and that. I I got a, uh, I started doing this painting. I found a German newsreel of the, the battle, Bordino. And there was a scene in there where the Germans had just captured a bunch of Russians and they came out of their trench and held their hands up and they all had those capes on, those 
I have one of those capes, and they, they work kind of like uh, like Superman capes. They tie it around the neck, and they're huge, yeah. and they just blow up behind you like uh, like a cape. So I, I really love having those things on me. They're, really kind, of, they're kind of dashing looking for a, for a piece of tarpaulin. And I like the old, the early war uniforms. They have the, uh, the little red tabs on the overcoat collars with those little instructions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The TPSH is an awesome machine gun. So. Yeah, and their expressions are really, really Yeah, their expressions too. are great. But I also love the expression of the British guy on Journal 6, um, the British guy looking up over that wall. He, he looks great, too. So you've done a fantastic job. Well, um, we should probably wrap this up. I think we're going on an hour or so. Yeah. Awesome. It was really uh, fabulous. Fantastic Absolutely. talking to you. I'm really excited. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, and I hope I hope that this uh, that we help to um, let the players know and appreciate more what all what goes into creating one of these things because it's not like it's an easy thing to do, and uh, your work is fantastic. It really has added a lot to the hobby. Well, I really appreciate that. Good to have people looking at it. And, um, you know, maybe we'll um, check in with you again after uh, Hakapala comes out, and we could do a little review of that piece when that comes up. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. And if there's any chance that the two half squads could come down and pose for you. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll be, we know you like women, but, and we're not that. But uh, We're not Victorian actresses. No, we're not. But that would be great. So, And we All appreciate right, you listening to our show. We, I'll enjoy it. Oh, very great pleasure. All right. Thank you, Ken. Have a great evening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. That was – I'm just so excited as an artist and as a fan, and so thank you, Ken. Uh, your work is fantastic. That was an amazing interview, really fascinating. Makes me want to draw. <laughs> no. Put that gun away. Yeah. Get out my stick figures. But wouldn't it be cool if we could go pose for him? I like it. Yeah. Liking it. I don't think we should tell somebody, though, that we're going to pose. No. Yeah. No. That, it just sounds weird. You <laughs> cannot make that sound good. It just doesn't sound good. Keep her clothes on. Yeah. So. Anyway, great Thanks show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everybody. We'll uh, be looking for you next time, and perhaps next time you'll be hearing from us, we'll be at Aslock in Ohio. So We're hoping. Yeah, we'll see. So roll low. And rally well. But, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye, everybody. Bye. It's too bad Ken is not going to Aslock this year. We could get all dressed up in our jammies and pose, pose for, for a night.